0: Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro, ooh. Jim Bob Goley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Hippity hop in the Kings Herald Shop.
1: You're listening to the Kings Herald Show, a bi weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs. Ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. I'm Will Griffith and with me today and every day on this podcast are my two companions and the real brains of this operation. First up, currently riding at the Kings Herald, Tony Terrace. Tony, how's it going today?
2: Uh, it's going great. Excited to talk about the draft, excited to talk about the Kings, uh, and I'm excited to, to spend half an hour or so with, with Will and Jerry.
1: Yeah. So now, now that you've mentioned that, saving the best for last here, and the real reason we've all tuned in today. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach. He's a color analyst, a general manager of an WNBA champion. He's an Indiana Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, are you ready today? Oh, I am.
0: I'm mentally ready. I I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to this, working with you guys. I I know you. uh, I've read you guys for years and uh, really, really know how much you follow the game, so I'm expecting to learn something from you guys. So, uh, so you better bring your A
1: games. <laughs> well, before we get into, uh, to teaching you anything new about, uh, this upcoming draft and whatnot, we want to get your perspective on something. Um, obviously you were a manager in the WNBA and you, uh, and as well as in the NBA. And so I wanted to first talk to you about the pre-draft process. Explain to us a little bit how it goes from player playing in college ball to, to getting drafted by a team in the, in the NBA
0: yeah you're exactly right well it's such a it is such a process no question about it and having said that this year and what all's happened i think is a totally unique situation but on normal circumstances uh you spend uh, you know basically a year just uh, preparing uh, to look at all the potential guys you think will be drafted and then uh, and you have some idea what your number could be that sort of thing and so uh you know, it's a matter of getting all the scouting reports live, getting the TV, or the, the TV games broken down, uh, the synergy, where uh, which I think is really great, where you can just basically break it down to where if you want to see a guy in a pick and roll, you can see see a thousand of them, what he did in each one. So you, you get a, a great idea there. And then it's a matter of, okay, uh, but at some point along the line, you know what number you'll have and so then you try to to schedule guys to come in for workouts and I and and certainly they're very important I think probably in my mind uh, when the Kings probably did the best was when they not only brought guys in for workouts and when you could get most guys in for workouts I might add Uh, you'd also put them through psychological evaluations which which I thought was was very valuable you know I mean in other words I always kind of remember a uh, doing the, the seeing the psychological profile on Francisco Garcia, for instance, and uh, it just came out glowing. You know, this guy is coachable, he's a great guy, will be a great teammate, will never be a problem. Blah, and that's exactly who he was. And then there's been a couple that were saying, this, these guys, this is a bad guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, over the years, it, it was pretty accurate, you know, and not that you couldn't sort of get an idea of it. So the psychological profile, I thought Jeff Petrie did a marvelous job of, uh, in particular, of, of really uh, getting skill sets defined, shooting and, and what you could do in workouts because you're, you're kind of limited. So the workout uh, and you try to evaluate that and just with the personality and how you think he might fit uh with his skills and and like i always said that people would say that i think a lot of teams put way too much value on the workout as opposed to the the body of work and uh, you know i think that's always a mistake uh, if you've seen it you know somebody who you know have a bad workout or you know you're playing three on three or something like that, it's like, come on, that's not the same as playing Duke in the finals of the conference or something like that. And so, so you have that. And then, uh, you know, you, you go through the whole process of, of, well, even if you have that pick and you've got two or three guys that you're focusing on, then, uh, you know, you hash it out. Uh, But you also always looking to trade, I mean, if you don't, you're, you're foolish. I mean, and now obviously if you're number one and Shaq's in the draft or LeBron, you don't, but I mean, that's that as most of us know, so many top picks, you know, aren't any better than the 10th pick. (laughs) And I think that'll probably be the case this year, but uh, anyway, so you're looking to trade it it, because if a trade can help you, why wouldn't you? I always said that year we had the third pick and, and, and took billy owens basically for golden state to get mitch richmond well why wouldn't you do that one's better than the other and still young now of course today's game and i think fans if a guy's over 25 they think he's eight ancient it's like <laughs> i don't agree with that because if, if a guy can still play seven eight good years I don't know i don't have more than seven or eight good years left so uh so why so why wouldn't you get somebody and help you for seven or eight years uh if they're clearly better so so anyway that's kind of the process uh and then you you know you get to the draft and then truthfully uh there's always surprises uh because certain guys you think will to be taken in front of you aren't and uh, that's how mistakes are made you know you, you know i don't want to say thomas robinson but I did uh, to where you're, you're, you know, the team has made its mind up. And then here's a guy that you thought would go second or third and uh, was there available. And then you panic and takes, you know, and you take it because you, and you, and you have reason to think it's a good pick, but turns out to be terrible, of course. So, so you have that, uh, the, the, the guys that fall and, and some guys fall uh, that, that shouldn't, you know, Paul Pierce comes to mind. Uh, you know that, that okay, he's available, but he shouldn't be. Uh, that sort of thing works both ways. The Carl Malones of years ago. Uh, you know that everybody knew he's really good, but there was rumors out all of a sudden that he was lazy and didn't like to practice. Well, that was really accurate. Uh, <laughs> so, so you have that. But so, that, so that then I mean, then if if you're going to keep the pick, then it's a matter of, and you can't trade it. And you've, got your, and you've got your rankings of uh, this is a guy we want if he's there. If he's gone, this is the guy and so forth. And so that's, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, there's not saying there's uh, probably off the top of my head. there probably be some more things in play, but uh, it truly is a process. And sadly, I think it's a little less of a process now because you don't have near as much information on players you're, you're, it's, it's everything based on upside and projections. And, and that's pretty, and that's very dangerous.
2: Jerry, you just reminded me of something. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, this was going years to back to the, um, to the Nick Stauskas draft where Grantland put together that um, inside the war room with the Sacramento Kings little mini documentary. And you see Pete D'Alessandro, you know, he was sort of leaning Alfred Payton and Vivek kept saying Nick Stauskas, like that was the guy that he wanted. And I always wondered, I assume they played up that sort of uh, those guys not being on the same page a little bit maybe for for the fit- footage. But I was curious how, like you talked about teams having their rankings. I was curious how strict they are following the rankings in that video it made it seem like there was sort of a scramble when the king's pick came and they were like all right who do we pick this guy or that guy and Then they make the call in whereas you know in my mind before seeing footage from inside like that i thought all right these are very professional organizations with a ton of scouts they must go into this thing with real hardcore rankings and a board and when it comes time for them to pick they know who they're picking is that accurate or is it a little bit more chaotic like you would see in that video where right down to the last minute, they're like this guy or that guy?
0: Well, I think there's uh, some chaos uh, depending on the number
2: mm-hmm.
0: because the further you move down in the draft, the more things can happen. I think in general, if you're one, two, three, four, something like that, there's less of a chance of that. But as you get into six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, you know, 20, whatever number, uh, Certainly that, that can happen, as I said, you know, because there's always somebody that was rated very high, starts sliding, and then you have a decision. Even your guy is there, and you're saying, well, yeah, he's our guy because we thought he would be the best one at eight. Uh, and then here's this guy coming, and we we thought he'd go three. And so now now I can't speak to what happened in that particular draft. I had nothing to do with it, thank God. Uh, but uh, But, yeah. It, you know, there's always a little chaos. I mean, just uh, uh, for the most part, like I say, if you're down the line there, there, there's just a lot of things happening, uh, you know, probably the the most surprising thing to me, honestly, was just see, have, have the owner involved. Uh, you know, I mean, I know for years, people always assumed the Maloofs were involved, but they never were. And uh, that was just a, that's total fiction.
1: How much, Jerry, how much, do you play the man across the table from you? How much in, in, a, in a situation where you have to draft, how much information do you share or do you get from other general managers where they might say, oh, we're the number three pick, we're, we're picking this guy. And how much of that ends up being smoke versus actual factual information?
0: A lot of it is smoke. I, I think there's always, probably most GMs in the league, uh, you know, scouts, personnel people, have some people they trust. And you know, and that's and I certainly was no different. There were people I knew I could talk to and they'd tell me the truth. And I would tell them the truth. And then others, I wasn't gonna tell the truth, and they wouldn't tell me the truth. So we both knew that, you know, and then there's some some that, you know, Don Nelson comes to mind that you knew he wouldn't go tell you the truth about anything. Just wasn't, he just couldn't do it. <laughs> and I mean, even if it's to his advantage, he wouldn't do it. But uh, I mean, Nellie's one of the all-time greats, but that's just who he was. And so you knew that. So you knew after, over years. I mean, here again, it's a little bit of a learning process, but you know, but yeah, you, you try to get accurate information. I've always said that's the same way with players. Uh, I always thought that one of the best ways to get information on players is, is don't put too much stock in their coach. He has an agenda. Uh, you know, oh, he's the greatest kid in the world. Well, you know, yeah, he wants him to go high. Uh, you know, try to, maybe even getting assistant coaches. Uh, they might be a little more honest about it, but teachers, people on campus, high school coach uh, that, you know, go, go, go into it a little bit. And I think you can get pretty good information about what kind of person he is. Not, you know, not, you're supposed to know what kind of player he is. That, that, you're not get trying to get that information. Uh, Cause if the high school coach knows more about how good he's going to be in the NBA than you do, you sh- should be, you shouldn't be in the NBA. And uh, so, but I I think that's, to me, it's part of the thing that maybe isn't done well enough often enough.
2: I was also curious how sometimes information gets out that, that maybe shouldn't. I remember, uh, I think it was 2018 when the Kings moved up to number two, the night of the lottery, there was already some, rumblings from uh I think it was ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni who does a lot of their draft coverage who right away said you know Luka Doncic is not the obvious pick for Sacramento they they really like Marvin Bagley and that was the night of the lottery and I know for all of Vlade's uh faults as a general manager he did um he really didn't like leaks he was very strict at least on on his for himself to not leak information out when people did he it didn't he didn't like that very much. So I'm wondering where some information, I know not that specific situation, but where that kind of information might come from. I think I always assumed it was probably agents, but when it's that specific, when you're talking about the night of the lottery, someone from ESPN already knowing which way the Kings might be leaning on a decision that is, that is kind of controversial, even, even from the night of the lottery.
0: Well, it, it can come from a lot of places. And I think you hit on it, Tony. I mean, generally it's agents. They, they're the ones that's got an agenda to get to, to get it out there about their guy. But it's also true when you have large staffs and every NBA team does. Uh, there's always a chance that somebody on the on the staff is wants to be a little more important than he is. And, you know, becomes a friend of the media, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I always, you know, that's very dangerous, you know. But I mean, it, it's not totally unusual, but I would say agents probably number one. Uh, because it, it anything they can do to their advantage and, and plus, quite honestly, you can't trust any of them. Uh, that's, you know, they've got their own agenda, which we all understand. So, yeah, I mean, I always go back. I mean, I always thought that was one of the real strengths of the Petrie organization is that uh, really there's almost no leaks ever. You know, I mean, and that's uh, but and that's the way the best organizations run. But it's also true, even the best, you know. They can't control, you can't control the narrative totally. You just can't.
1: So let's, let's transition a little bit here into, uh, into the uh, 2020 draft here. Uh, Jerry, is there anybody in particular, obviously this is the, uh, the, the first pick um, for Monty McNair and his staff. Uh, they're grabbing uh, right at the bottom of the lottery at the number 12 pick. Is there anybody that you see in particular, Jerry, that, that you formed an opinion on that might be there, that, you, uh, that you've scouted yourself as, as an amateur now? And, uh, and figured you might like for the Kings?
0: Well, I am totally amateur, And I, I've honestly, I'll tell you right up front, I, I've watched less college basketball than either one of you guys in 90% of the Kings Herald. So I just, the game doesn't interest me near as much as it used to. And so, you know, there's some guys I did watch that I liked. Uh, I don't, you know, Tyrese Halliburton's a guy I really like a lot. I don't think he's going to be there. Uh, but he's the kind of guy, for instance, that seems to have a game that would translate to the NBA. In other words, would he be a star? I don't think about that. But it'd be hard for me to see him not being good. Now, if I had a a guy, there's one guy that really intrigues me that might be there, just what little i watched. And here again, uh, don't count on me for anything here. Isaac Okoro from Auburn. The guy can guard people. You know, I mean, really athletic guy. He doesn't have the complete game and all that, but none of them do. Uh, you know but he's a big time athlete that can go guard you and and for a team that I don't know if you've noticed this or not but the Kings don't guard anybody much and uh, I I just noticed that about 30 games in but uh, but uh, so so I think someone like that would he'd find minutes it'd be hard to believe that that pick wouldn't find minutes in the league and then where he goes from there, I don't know. But athletically, he's off the charts. You know, then then there's a couple other guys that are interesting, just on a on a I think on a potential basis. Like uh, Precious Achua from Memphis, is just an amazing athlete, almost a big mobile kind of a Ron Artest kind of kind of guy. You just if if the game comes together, he could be awfully good. Not you know, and they could also, you know, who knows? It's you know young, but boy big time body athlete, you know, grown man kind of thing. And then Aaron uh, Naismith out of Vandy, and I I just watched him a little. I mean, of course he didn't play a lot, but man, he can shoot. You know, I mean, so there again, I'm I'm just talking about, okay, now this is a, a skill that translates. In other words, I think he's an NBA shooter today. Does that mean he's an answer to anything? Does he make Kings better? I don't know that that's true at all. Of course, I don't know that any twelfth pick would for sure. but but those are guys that that really are intriguing and to me, I mean, and, and I think I can't say they wouldn't be good picks.
1: Tony, what about you? Is there anybody that you heard from that list that sticks out or somebody that you want to include in on that?
2: Yeah, I've been a i have been I feel like I've been leading the the Aaron Niesmith uh, bandwagon for for a couple months now, at least with regarding uh, the King's Herald. Um, staff, but I also think this is a weird draft and it's also a year where the Kings are picking much lower than they have in the past, where it seemed like who the Kings should target was a little bit more obvious. Like I think in the De'Aaron Fox year, we were a lot of people were targeting De'Aaron Fox kind of after his performance in the, in the tournament saying, Oh, the Kings need a point guard. This guy looks like a leader, looks like someone they should target. Or, uh, Luka Doncic is a player we watched for years. And when the Kings jumped up to two right from the lottery a lot of us a lot of people thought that that would be a guy to target this year they're picking 12 in what everyone who watches more college basketball than i do says is a weak draft so it feels like the pool of players they could select from is huge so there aren't many uh guys in that sort of window that would upset me like i think you at 12 there's a lot of different strategies you could swing for the fences on a a more project player or you could kind of play it safe. And I view Neesmith as kind of a safer player. I think he's uh, the, the best shooter in the draft. What I liked about his shooting numbers, and some people will point to the fact that he didn't finish out the season and uh, might question his shooting a little bit because his percentage was ridiculous. He shot like 45% from three. No one's going to do that over the course of a, of a full season. So there is some questions like, if he's not an elite shooter, is he worth the 12th pick? And I point to his free throw shooting, which is also, has also been very, very high his, in his two college years. And that's often something that that actually watch uh, prospects and analyze prospects for a living often point to as something that supports uh, shooting when the sample size might be kind of small. It's like, oh, well, he's also been an awesome free throw shooter for these two years. It, it kind of lets you believe in his shooting a little bit more than you might if you're worried that, you know, you only played 12 games. How do we trust this? But I think Neesmith is a, is a great shooter. And if you can get, again, I go back to the weak draft point. If you can get the best shooter in the draft at a position of need on the wing at 12, that seems like a pretty good value pick to me. But at the same time, like I said, the tier of players is so big. Patrick Williams would be would be awesome. Halliburton would be great. Someone's going to slide, obviously. They always do. So those guys in that tier may be above, whether it's Killian Hayes or, or Halliburton. If one of those guys dropped, I'd be happy with them too. But this is not a year where I'm going to be upset at who the Kings pick outside of a few very particular players that, that I'm not a huge fan of just because they're picking 12. The pool is so large.
1: Yeah, the pool is so large, and it's also so even. It feels like it's really spread from from like 6 to 14, 15, 16. You could pick pretty much anyone in there, and it's they got about the same, the same odds of, of making it in the league as anybody else. Jerry, I want to put you on the spot for a second here. Uh, you brought up a Coro who's arguably one of the best kind of wing defenders in the draft. And, and Tony's talking about um, Aaron Naismith, who's the best shooter in the draft, arguably it's, it's draft night. The decision is yours to make. I, as, as, as a Malouf or a Renadive, have to tell you, you get to make the call. We have the best shooter in the gym available and we have the best defender in the gym available. Which one do you take in that scenario?
0: I think for this, this team, I, I would take a coral, because I think it's a, even more valuable. And, and here again, the current roster, uh, as good as I like Naismith is, uh, you know, it's how much does he make you better if, with the current guys on the roster? How much does he get to play? And I, I think there is, a, and I don't believe in necessarily position of need when you're picking, you're trying to find somebody that's going to play in the NBA, for God's sakes for a long time. And I just think a coro fits a, but he does fit a deed. And it seems like to me it'd be hard for him not to have a fairly long NBA career. And if you keep the same roster or have most of the same key guys, then uh, finding somebody that brings something that you don't have might be a little more valuable.
1: Now, you just brought this up a little bit because I was going to ask you about um, best player available versus versus fit in the draft sometimes there's an argument of oh you got to pick a guy that that fits your team there's a hole on that versus just grab the very best player that you can the guy that you think has the most star potential or whatever else like that i i'm i'm somebody who i'm i'm much more of a guy who likes to swing for the fences when when i hear a name like a kira lewis jr who's uh who's a point guard who's as as speedy as uh yeah, he's quick. I I can I can see the potential there, and I go, okay, you know, you, you're kind of putting the ball out where it should be five six years from now. Thinking, oh, if we have two of the fastest guys in the NBA, what can you develop around that? What kind of coach? What kind of system could you put in place where there is uh, a potential where it's game changing? Uh, another name that comes to mind for me, and I like to rile up every single person in the King's Herald. Uh, in our in our uh, discussions about this, but I bring up a, a, a guy out of Serbia, uh, Alexej Pokosevsky, who is 7'2". two. He's got ball skills. He can shoot a little bit. Uh, uh, he's he's obviously a kind of a unique unicorn type player in the sense that it's feast or famine with him. If if he if he can you know he's dangerously thin. I mean he he's got like 20 pounds lighter than like buddy healed or something like that. But if a guy like that pans out, then I feel like it opens your championship window a little bit. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, about whether or not you, you know, whether it's smarter to go for a fit or whether it's better to just grab that bit, the guy that you think has the most uh, star potential on that.
0: Well, those are great questions. By the way, you know, if the guy you mentioned, yeah, is he Nicholas Skisvili or is he uh, Porzingis? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's always the scary part. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think in general, I mean, it's, you know, with most situations, you, you, you're looking for a star. And certainly if you're really into the lottery, you know, top five, six, seven, uh, I'd certainly think uh, you, you really want to find a, you know, hit a home run, get a star. And, uh, you know, so many of the mistakes are made because you, you know, teams that try to get a fit a la, we can't take um, Michael Jordan because we got Clyde Drexler kind of thing. And and, I mean, uh, you know, you take, so, so I I think you you should always take stars if you're pretty sure that's what they are and, and look for them. Now, further down, I still think that's true, but I also think there's a point where you say, well, I like this guy. I like this guy. I like this guy, and I don't see star anywhere, but I see good player, sure. and which one can maybe fit what we need, you know. And so I, I think at some point you you don't know, you you, do, you just never know, of course. But but I think that uh, often it's like well, there's no reason to believe any of these guys are going to be game changers.
1: So let's uh, let's go a little bit into then. Uh, into, uh, we'll, we'll turn back the clocks a little bit when I ask you, um, who's a guy, whether you were a coach or, or a manager, um, either in the NBA or the WNBA, who was somebody that you were really hoping uh, uh, your team would pick, but but escaped? They, uh, they escaped the clutches of the Sacramento Kings by getting drafted right before right before you were hoping they'd fall to the to the kings or to the uh to the monarchs
0: well i certainly i, I can think of a, i mean i'm sure every year there's somebody And one that you know came to mind to to me was the year i think we took uh we drafted walt williams uh who was certainly a very good pick and turned out had a really nice career but I, I really wanted tom Gugliotta, and and i thought that he would be available but he went right in front of us and, and i think Gugliotta at least probably didn't have a, a better career than Walt, but certainly had, he was way better for a few years. You know, he had more, more star quality till the injuries changed things. But uh, so, you know, it, it, it is one of those things. I, I don't think there's ever a draft where you don't look, you can't look back and find somebody that geez, I wish we'd have got him or, or, I mean, you get, even you get the right guy, I mean, even when, uh, you know, the Kings get a De'Aaron Fox, well, that's a right guy. But then, you know, there's a Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, I mean, you can, can you, you know, be hard to say that De'Aaron had has been as good as Donovan at this stage. But, you know, if you did the draft over, you'd still probably take De'Aaron for, for where the team's going. So I don't know. I, I, You know, you it is one of those things where as fans, we always want to play those games. You know, it's right. like I always go back before I was even hired and the Kings took Joe Klein and Carl Malone went 13th or 14th. And I always say, well, yeah. And then people say, boy, the Kings screwed up. Well, of course they did. So did the six teams in front of us. You know, I mean, really, Carl was better than Patrick Ewing. He went number one. Wayne Tisdale went number two. I mean, so. If you want to find the blame, you know, go right there where he should have went.
2: <laughs> you got to look at what other teams do too. That's what I always think about when, um, I mean, it, it's crazy that the Kings drafted this guy because you just don't hear anything about it anymore. But uh, Yorgos Papayanis, everyone likes to uh, criticize Vladi for that pick. And I, that's valid criticism. I mean, I, that was the first time in a draft maybe ever where the Kings drafted a player in the lottery that I had never even heard of until Adam Silver like said his name out loud. But at the same time, you look at the players that went after him, and for as as bad as that pick was, Vade I think OG Ananobe was like one of the only uh, better players that were even in that kind of same tier. So was it a bad pick? Yes, but uh, I can only criticize to a degree because it's not as if any other team got their picks right in that range either.
0: Yeah, you know, too. And I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Vladi would be the first to admit it. He made a mistake. You know, he, it, was, yeah. it was a real reach and he saw something that others didn't. And as it turned out, others were right. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that he just, he, <laughs> you know, I, I do think, and I'll say this about Papianis, is, is had it been 18 or 1985 or 88 or ninety, a totally different game, different rules, all that he'd have had, he'd have had a good career. I believe that, you know, it just, it just, he just didn't in any way fit what's going on in the NBA today, much like some of the small guards the Fred van bleats and all would have had a heck of a time having any real success in 1985 or 88, 90 back in those days. So, you know, that's uh, where, where little guards couldn't be protected by the rules or uh, the game itself.
1: You you mentioned uh, Donovan Mitchell there for a second, and um, uh, 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 the sad reminder is that the Kings could have had De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell, I believe.
0: That would be a sad fact, yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Will. I believe
1: they had the tenth pick that year, and and they could have reached for for Mitchell there, and instead they traded down, and they got a. I believe that's the year they got Justin Jackson and Harry Giles, correct? Correct. What what then? Talk about trades a little bit then in the NBA. Was there a time where you traded off a pick, or or the team traded off a pick where you thought down the road, man, I wish I would have had that one back because there was somebody that we were we were eyeing and it just didn't come together, or you you had to patch a hole somewhere by by trading something like that.
0: Well, I think the probably the you know honestly, I, I think the the worst one that probably the Kings have made was the year they traded down from, I think, I'm not even sure, seven to 11, to, and took uh, Jimmer for debt, uh, so they could get oh, J- yeah. John Salmons, I think. <laughs> and I mean, and, and, you know, there's certainly a, and and, I, and I'm, I like John as a player, don't get me wrong, and I think he had a pretty darn good career, but uh, it just wasn't the right, clearly wasn't the right move, and now it was made, partly because I know Paul Westfall, uh, you know, really just wanted a small forward. He just felt they had to have one. And I think, uh, you know, so is kind of an over overreaction to a, a need and, uh, to fill a, a current need and it just didn't work. I guess the best way you can put it. And, uh, so, so yeah, that, that's what happened. And I don't like, I, and I really, I, I think that's what the dangers of trading up, trading down, uh, always, always recall the, you know, the classics, I, I think, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Traded, you know, traded uh, uh, down to get tractor trailer, uh, and then of course Dallas took a guy named Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, you know, probably didn't work for him. You know, in other words, uh, you you know you if you, it's dangerous. I think when you are convinced that boy, if we can go from nine to five, we'll get this superstar. Well, history proves that isn't you. You can't be convinced. You know, it's like the old deal of uh, even Ben McLemore. You know, everybody saying, "Boy, you know, you you know got him at seven. You might have had to trade up to get him." Well, no, you didn't. As it turned out, uh, Ben, 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 you know, should, he's an NBA player. He's he's got some value, but uh, he's not a guy you you wor- You know, he's not a talent you worry about moving up to get. I mean, there's just, the you know, I mean, I understand here again, you know, there it really needs to be a guy, you know, and I don't know how you know. Now, I mean, yeah, if you can trade up to get Shaq, sure. Uh, give him your roster and future picks and you're ahead. Uh, you know, if you can trade up to get Tim Duncan, uh, rights to a draft a Tim Duncan, you do that. But, you know, you know, like, like I say, it's, it's teams now like I uh, you know, we're going to, we've got the 12th pick to, we'll trade up eight so we can get uh, Tyrese Halliburton, who I like. Well, that might be turned out to be good, but, but I wouldn't do it. But as you can see, I, I'm just not a, you know, just to trade up to get, you know, a few spots and giving up because you have to give up quite a bit to do that generally. Why do it?
2: You reminded me of that that Jimmer for debt trade. And I'm, I'm upset all over again. I remember watching the transaction come through and I was like, wait a minute, the Kings traded who, in my opinion was like a, a better player. Like they traded Baino. Uh, so they got John Salmons. They got the, the lesser player and they moved down.
0: Yeah. Well, it didn't work. You're exactly right. I mean, there wasn't anything positive about it. Uh, uh, yeah. And by the way, Bano was a pretty good player, but he's one of those guys that, He's good, but he's not good enough. If, if you know what I mean, if he's one of your three or four best players, you, you're not very good. If he's one of your top
2: eight or nine, eighth or nine, then you can be pretty good. <laughs> for his salary, he was like a bargain, like his production Dog. for salary and his steadiness. That's why that trade, I'm like, wait, you traded Bano, who's like, make he's very reasonable number uh, for Salmons, who we've already seen here. And you moved down. I, I didn't get that one at all. And as a huge as a huge Bano fan, it, it made me doubly angry.
0: Oh, oh, I, I, I always say the, the classic Bano thing, though, was he, he never made a mistake. I love the guy we talked. He never made a mistake. It was always somebody else's fault. I always remember the classic was when he had the ball stolen from him at mid court. There wasn't another human around. He gets a ball stolen, the guy go down, and lays it up, and, and he's pointing at two or three teammates. I'm saying, you know, I'm saying Bano, it's you, you know, you kind of got to own that yourself, there, partner. When I think
2: of Bano in my head, like the image that I see is him like shrugging, like it wasn't my fault because he always he always yeah. did that.
0: No, that, well, that's uh, you know that <laughs> that was Bano, yeah,
2: but he was very steady. Like I remember, anytime a game was on the line and they fouled Bano and Bano went to the free throw line, I was like, all right, this is good we're in good hands like he's going to knock down these end of the fourth quarter free throws every single time
0: oh yeah i mean he he's the guy he did play on a champion had a role Mm -hmm. limited role on a champion and played on some other good teams it's just like say he's like so many guys i've always said that you know i'm probably outspoken in this but there's really only 10 or 12 players in the nba that are difference makers yeah of most of them are just interchangeable parts and, you know, I know with fans, you know, they'll get excited about Malachi Richardson or something. Oh, if he'd get more time, he could, no, it won't make any difference.
2: <laughs> Thank you for indulging me on a, on a Bano Under conversation, Will. You can, sorry about that. You can move on.
1: <laughs> it's in Tony's contract. That's how we got him in here. We will talk about Bano at least once every few months, just to make sure he's happy.
0: Well, good. Yeah. Well, any, <laughs> anytime he's, 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 a, he's one of the best.
2: I just talked about Bano with Jerry. So that was, that's a win for me.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm okay with that. We can, uh, Tony and I, can, you know, I like uh, one of my favorite guys, period. Could be a good coach. Bano could be a good coach. So keep that in mind.
2: If I remember correctly, he's, he was doing some stuff with the Pistons as like a, some sort of like player development, um, helper, but I think that was yeah. under Stan uh, and Stan Van Gunny's obviously not there anymore. So I don't think he's doing that, but
1: yeah, I don't think so. Speaking of coaching, Jerry, uh, having, having been a coach and a manager, when, when, when the draft is approaching, how is you, how, how do you as a manager take into stock what the, what the coach says uh, versus how much you, how you view the team versus how the coach views the team? And then as a coach, on the other hand, how do you impress upon a general manager? This is what I need to win versus when the general manager has different ideas about that.
0: Yeah, those that, that are great questions because, you know, they're, they're two different jobs, and that's why it's tough for one person to have both jobs. I've always said, the, as a general manager, you have to look at in terms of what's best for the franchise, and that may mean not tomorrow getting better, but uh, the right guy down the road. As a coach, you don't care about down the road because you ain't going to be down the road if, if you don't get better. And so you're, and I can say that leads to those kind of things we already discussed the, you know, the John Solomon's kind of thing. Well, Paul Westfall's worried about, I got to get something here to, you know, try to get better. Well, you know, we know it's a mistake, but I mean, that, that, that sort of happens all the time now, you know, and then it's up to the general manager to say, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, Unless, you know, unless he has some feeling that it would work, of course. And uh, so I always say that's kind of why the the Rick and Jeff Petrie thing was so good. They'd been, you know, they really were on the same page all the time. You know, and if they weren't, uh, you know, they'd get there pretty easy. So but that's pretty rare, you know, because it's uh, and that's why personally and, you know, that's why you need to hire the general manager first. That's why it needs to be, in the co- he needs to be the guy that hires the coach type thing. Uh, I just think it's very difficult because you got you automatically got a little bit of a split of power there, and uh, but uh, but yeah, they they're going to see it different. They're going to see it different, and uh, I just know my my experience. Uh, I always remember when we drafted Bobby Hurley. Well, at the time, everybody was for it. Uh, you know, he had been not just a dupe, but in the the uh, uh, dream team trials and stuff. I mean, he had been terrific. You know, and got you know his quickness and decision making were just spectacular. And you know, but we knew it'd take a while. It's a Position that takes a while. And so the idea was, yeah, you know, we'll draft him. Spud Webb. We'll be starter and we'll bring Bobby along slowly and maybe by the second much like a John Stockton behind Ricky Green second or third year he'll be ready to really run a team and kind of do what he did or could do. But then about you know the fourth season uh, Gary St. Jean just decided well if we're going to, if he's going to be our guy we'll, we'll just start him and have Spud come off. And it really was in my mind a wrong decision because Bobby wasn't ready. Uh, Spud got to play against the second line guys. And just, you know, it was way better. And so, it, it, sure. and Bobby's going against the front line guys uh, of a lot of veteran points who wanted to kick his ass because it was Bobby Hurley.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it just, and of course, and he played, he did okay up till the injury and where his body was torn apart, but uh, which is, I don't think any other player in history would even come back, but that's another issue. But anyway, so, so those are some things that get, construed, you know, it's a little bit like quarterbacks in football, you know, used to be you drafted a quarterback and they set for a couple years or a year or two. And now it's like, well, after three games, well, we got to get the, you know, get the the 20 year old in there so he can get his butt killed too. And then we'll give up on him in two years.
1: So we're going to transition now into um, a segment that we're going to do every single time. Maybe eventually we'll invent a a catchy, little clever name for it, but we're going to have a Tony, um, take questions from our patreon subscribers the people that support the king's herald on patreon um, who, who who allow us to to run our site so tony every week is going to offer up a question from one of the um from one of our patrons as a as a as a way as a thank you to them but also as a way for you to interact a little bit more with the fans instead of just me and tony oh great so today's question is coming uh from rob uh, tony why don't you go ahead and take that away
2: Sure. Yeah. Like Will said, we're going to do uh, one Patreon question every week. And then I think once a month, we're going to do uh, open it up a little bit more and, and take a few questions and put that up on the Patreon. So if you are a King's Herald patron um, at any tier, uh, you'll get to, to see the, the Patreon uh, Q&A with Jerry. Um, all right. And, and of course, we asked a um, huge part of our site and our community, Rob Hessing, for the first question. So, Jerry, the question from Rob is, uh, looking at the future, is the low post big permanently obsolete? Will we ever see another player like Zach Randolph as a core piece for a team, or is the post game as we knew it sort of dead?
0: Great question. Uh, obviously, not surprising from Rob. You know, By the way, I would say back when Rob used to write a lot for the that other site, which will be a, a name, but I... I think I learned more from Rob than I did just about from anybody. But uh, you know, I guess my my thought on that is, of course, there'll be some, but 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 the current rules are really making it difficult, and I'm not a fan of, of making. It. I mean, I'd like to see post play become more of a factor. I'd like to see post players allowed to play more. Uh, you know, I, I I I love the open game, but I think it's it's too much now. Swung the pendulum too much to the perimeter game where you can't touch defensively guards. And, and I've, I think I've told you guys before, I'm really for getting rid of the corner three, three-point shot. I've always said that, that once the arc turns out, it, goes, it should go right to the sideline. And and uh, so that might, it might help post-play when you have, uh, you know, why dump it inside so you can kick it out to the corner for three, for a little cheap threes. Uh, but I, I think that I think there need to be some adjustment in the rules to get post play back at the college level, as well as the pro level. I mean, I I'd like to say for years, if you didn't have big men, you couldn't win. Now, if you don't have three point shooting and guards, you can't win. And somewhere along the line, mm-hmm. let's get back to just having a combination, you know, of the in my mind, uh, the great teams of the Bulls, you know the. The Pistons, the old Celtics and Lakers, the Showtime Lakers, where they had had it all, had it all. Real. And you know. So anyway, I know I'm old school. I apologize, Rob, but you probably understand. I can't help it. <laughs> but I I'd like to say, I think the rules themselves need to be adjusted to where if you can beat on a beat on a post player and wrestle with them without being a foul, you ought to at least be able to touch a guard.
1: So we're gonna go to our, our last segment then. And this is, uh, this is a segment we're going to have every week where we're just going to let Jerry talk, not like we haven't already had Jerry talking, but we're going to let Jerry talk on whatever his subject he wants to talk about. Today, uh, we're going to have Jerry's uh, Reynolds wrap-up and then uh, and then we'll be out of your hair and we'll see you guys in two weeks. So Jerry, take it away.
0: Well, you know, just a couple of thoughts. I'm just thrilled to get, spend time with you guys. Uh, you know, Will, you and Tony are obviously terrific and a lot of fun and, and especially with Kings Herald. I say I really have a lot of respect for all the people who uh, read it, write—you know—really some thoughtful uh, aspects. I don't agree with everything, and I'm sure you won't agree with me, and you shouldn't if you, because if you do, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. I'll tell you that. But, uh, but anyway, that—that's—you uh, know—I'm just so, so glad to be involved again, and—and and, you know—and I'm just praying someday that we get back to a normal uh, NBA schedule, because uh, honestly, where we are now, it. it uh, not very appealing <laughs> you know i mean i, I think it the uh, basketball is a game that needs fans truly needs fans in the stands it it, it really loses a lot uh from just the game itself the the effort uh, the whole thing i mean it is it is a game that was you know probably more than any other that needs the fans so you know hopefully sooner than later that's 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 my thought for now and i guess the final one i want to wish uh uh, Mark Jones recently hired uh, to replace, uh, in my mind, uh, Grant Napier. A lot of people have their own opinions, but a, a gifted, gifted uh, play-by-play announcer. And I know Mark, Mark has, a, has a lot of talent as well. So, uh, you know, just for the king's sake, uh, you know, hoping that all works out. And, and uh, someday, uh, before I become posthumous, that we have a, a, a normal NBA schedule.
1: We'd like to thank everybody who's listened today, and we'd like to, uh, to urge you to uh, wherever you get your podcast to uh, to like, to uh, to rate, to subscribe, uh, give us five stars, and and uh, leave a rating because that really helps us. And get a King's shirt, get a King's Herald shirt. Oh yes, and get a King's Herald shirt as well. So for uh, for Jerry and for Tony, um, I'm Will, and I'd like to thank you guys for listening to the King's Herald Show. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, guys.